Uh, hi everyone and welcome to the Science Ready podcast where I talk to amazing women in science, technology and the arts. Today I'm very excited to be talking to Ghislaine Boddington. She's the creative director and curator of Women Shift Digital. She's also the creative director of Body Date Space, Data Space, uh, which is a design collective in East London. Uh, she's a researcher, dramaturg and thought leader specializing in body responsive technologies. Um, and she's also created live links between thousands of participants, audiences around the world for educational, performing arts and creative industries. Um, Ghislaine um, extends natural interface techniques, advocating the use of the entire body as an inter interaction canvas. Her work examines the representation of our, our physical selves and our identities in virtual environments and the hyper-enhancement of our human senses through digital transmission. I'm so very excited <laughs> to be here and to interview you today uh, because we have lots of crossovers in terms of working in virtual spaces yes, and immersive yes, spaces. Yeah. So uh, well, following the intro that I gave, is there anything you would like to add? No, it's a lovely <clears throat> intro and thank you very much for, for um, inviting me to do the podcast. It's a great set of podcasts. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm happy to have you. So I'm um, looking at your work, so you basically make a connection between lots of different kind of areas of society. So it's both technology, the human body, uh, senses, uh, women, and kind of inclusive, like bringing that all together and including lots of people around it. Could you could you give a bit of background to how you got there, mm, basically? Yeah, yeah. It's been um, quite an interesting route. And I, I come through a dance training, dance background, performing arts, dance and voice. And um, in the late 80s, I got a um, chance as a young dancer to work with um, with um, American dancers who had started to work with digital video, early digital video. And it was still quite big, chunky machines, as you can imagine. But what it did was enable me to start to play with the image of the body in relationship to our, our real bodies, so video and and in you know, and real bodies, so really what's become virtual and physical, mm. and I just got quite fascinated by it, and I think that it was partly to do with the fact that I realised, um, working into a European context, that I was often with colleagues, like say from Portugal or Belgium or Austria and Slovenia, those, and we come together for workshops. Performing arts, it's essential. You know, we have to be together, collaborating and working, and then we'd be back in our own countries and in our little studios and and kind of missing each other and really needing to connect. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, kept thinking, how can we make this connection between us? And we should be able to work together at a distance. And, um, and it was partly that. It was partly that my interest came really strongly through in um, how we how we look at identity and how we actually represent ourselves mm -hmm. um, uh, as dancers at that point. But I was also looking at as, just as people, how we humans represent themselves through these other forms in, in, at this point in time as such as video and um, and what that could mean if we could actually start to um, break down the the emotions or conceptual feelings that we get about ourselves through it so in in dance terms that's of, often you know can be quite fairly narcissistic mm -hmm. um, um, and fairly complex in terms of how we deal with our bodies mm -hmm. yeah um, I also had been working a lot um, 
actually because I was living and working in London with a more intercultural background around me. So I was been working with African Music Village at the Commonwealth Institute. I'd been doing some stuff with four or five of the early pioneer British Asian dance companies in Britain. I'm really interested in the different dance forms. I was very much into group dancing, so folk dance and social dance, but also these other new dance forms that are infiltrating into our contemporary scene. Mm -hmm. And I like those hybrid mixes. So this whole thing about connecting to each other at a distance and having some way of communicating through body mm -hmm. interfaces became a bit of my obsession. Okay. So that's how I got into this whole area of, of basically dance tech in the 90s yeah, and yeah. then moving into body tech in, from 2003-04 onwards, really. Yeah. And, like, what were the challenges when you shifted from dance tech into body tech? Because, obviously, the approach is different. It's probably more, um, like, video visuals in the beginning with dance dance tech and going into body tech like haptics and robotics and wearables yes, was, for example it was interesting i think i was actually genuinely i was say genuinely lucky i don't think we should say we're lucky actually as women we too often say mm. well, i was so lucky mm -hmm. to be you know well i found the right people it took time um, in the 90s, by about 95, 96, there was a very small mailing list called Dance Tech Mailing mm -hmm. List. And um, by the end of the 90s, there was probably 400 of us worldwide, maybe a bit more. And we started to have meetups, yeah. yeah. But during that 10 years, working with EU money, actually, to set up networks of people to come together, choreographers, dancers and technologists, we mm -hmm. did about 120 projects, mm -hmm. which were Dance Tech based, yeah. Um, bringing people from all over Europe together and some Americans as well and Canadians mm. to share and exchange knowledge and to learn um, how to talk with each other and how to find ways to work with each other and collaborate. So mm. we made some striped strong methodologies of collaboration mm. which have actually fed right through into our work with integrative industries. Mm. And in fact, I'm using them again loads more at this point, 20 years on from the original um, points of creating these methodologies and these big groups of mm. people working together and going, yeah, this works, that doesn't work, you know, etc. And um, I think that the, the, the positive side of the dance tech scene was we did get to work with very early techs. Yeah, mm -hmm. so a lot of it was like, oh my gosh, this is the first time this has been used. Like streaming was where yeah, I started yeah. in about 93, 94 and connecting stages. And that links back to what I said to you earlier about we've got to work together. We've got to find a work mm. to be a way to be able to see each other when we're back in our home spaces, mm. you know. Um, and things like um, interaction through lasers, early motion capture when we were tethered to the floor with huge cables, um, uh, early robotic things which were, you know, even like robotic lights and things like that yeah. moving around us, um, and transferring data like, say, taking heart heartbeat data mm -hmm. from somebody in one venue and transferring it back into a heartbeat in a distant venue, mm -hmm. that kind of um, transmission of body data, yeah. yeah. So we were playing around with all of this and we were also playing with early mapping projection systems which have now grown into big companies like D3. Mm -hmm. um, we were working with um, Brian Eno's early Cohen audio audio generative audio. Um, well, at that time was a huge hardware box, but, you know, which has now gone into those big softwares. Yeah, yeah. So it flowed through pretty well, actually. Your initial question was how it flowed through yeah, yeah, from yeah, yeah. dance tech yeah, into yeah. body tech. And, in a way, we suddenly picked up all our knowledge and we could bring it with us. And it mm. started to kind of get 
merged and muddled up from about 99, 2000. And then by 2004, we knew we were in this more creative industries track, which yeah. was growing around us. Yeah. 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 Now you have, I mean, yeah, now you, there's so many tools that you could, like small tools yes. that you could play around with that mm-hmm. are wireless. And I guess that offers so much more options to ex- in exploring motion and mobility well well before you were tethered to the floor you said yeah, yeah no that you're spot on there that's exactly the point because we were constantly trying to find ways to stay natural mm. in our natural body cells and it it became a bit of an obsession that we could try to do these interactive works but not have anything attached to the body mm. like cables or big wearables or heavy headsets or whatever and we didn't always manage it by any means but it was always a kind of aim mm. and I think that um yeah, when we were, you know, first doing motion capture and you were cable, right, really full on cables to yeah. the floor and you could only move in a circle, you know, a small circle. When we were first doing creating avatars, it, it was either with really experienced, you know, creative technologists mm-hmm. or I think the first one I made was in Second Life. So that was yeah. what, early 2000s or whatever, you yeah. know. Um, when we were first working... Um, with telepresence Mm -hmm. that was early ever was from about 92 93 but in reality to be able to start to stream that real time Mm -hmm. on the web that was around 95 6 Mm -hmm. and we were really um having to deal with lag Mm -hmm. or latency as it's called now but lag you know every single night every single session you'd be counting in and working out what the lag was that time Yeah, yeah And actually, you know, it was quite fun. And it made, there was a whole kind of section in the arts, a digital arts called Lag Aesthetics, mm-hmm. which was all written, you know, but of course it's gone away now and we don't have sure. to worry about yeah. that anymore. <laughs> but seeing, you know, Skype arrive, FaceTime arrive in the mid-2000s, in the noughties as it's called, um, seeing the we arrive where everyone could make their own avatars, particularly mm-hmm. Connect, mm-hmm. yeah, had really shifted that. So you're totally right. It's about the actual... Um, mass production of more proprietary um, uh, hardwares and softwares that actually has just enabled so much more to come about and so much more access and inclusivity of different types of people into the work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I just was actually at a screening of an animation movie on Saturday. Right. Where they use a lot of motion capture and Mm -hmm. movements of people, but seeing the amount of people that go into a production of one movie is incredible yeah, like mixing yeah. humans and like animations for example but so w- when you cr- create um shows for example w- like what is the your most important focus what do you want to bring to people when you develop these shows i think um for body data space yes, and we yeah. came out mm-hmm. of an earlier collective called Ching Hansen, mm. which was started in 89 and that was very much that dance dance and, and music and tech, mm. sound and movement research, we called mm-hmm. it. Um, but but about eight of us carried through into body data space. And I think that we we tend to make, we're a very fluid collective and we work, we all give each other work, but we tend to try and make one bigger project every three to four years together. Mm-hmm. And that focus is very much like the body at the centre mm-hmm. of, of tech. And that it, the tech needs to complement us, it needs to work with us, it needs to extend our, ourselves. And that mm-hmm. concept really came into place for us quite definitely by the mid-90s. It's like, hang on a minute, something's going a bit wrong here. Why is all this tech not... Because we, you know, we were getting stuff and it's like, well, mm-hmm. it doesn't... We're meant to make it work rather than it help us work, yeah? And um, a lot of this mm-hmm. tech that we were testing, we were doing reports on back to the companies, mm-hmm. you know, different 
um, wearable computing stuff, different, you know, mm. all these things with um, Brian, Brian Eno, etc. Mm. Um, so we were always reporting back, you know, we can push it this far, but it won't do this. And mm. it really does need to do this mm. because actually that's normal and that's natural and that's what bodies do and that's mm. what humans do. Mm. Yeah, so if it won't go there, then there's a restriction in place. Or we... we tried this and tried that and it was great when it did this mm -hmm. and then they come back going but we didn't even know it could do that and we said yes because we pushed it and we pushed it mm -hmm. there but that actually is a really useful element of it and um or they'd know it could do it but they never thought that that bit of it would be the bit that we'd want to use mm -hmm. the body would want to use so so it's very very focused on all the work and even now on actually the human at the center and in the last few years, the, we focused very much on the collective again, back into collective humans working together, mm -hmm. physically together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's very interesting what you said there about pushing technologies as well, by pushing uh, it to see what it can do. And I guess, uh, and obviously bringing lots of people together to actually yes. make it push and go that far. And it reminds me a lot of what VR is today, actually, because right. yeah. Yeah. it's communities that kind of, try stuff together and see what actually VR can bring to in content as a, for society, for the audience yeah. and, and pushing kind of things forward with the technology the way that we have today. And um, I mean, you've been involved in immersive environments mm. like VR mm. kind of, what are your views on that new technology mm. that is now has now been around for the, the past three years, let's say. Yes. I mean, I think that, it is it is very like that is we we were i mean we were really really in a good position to be able to bring together you know groups of 15 20 30 of us mm. lots of times mm. to really play and push these things mm. and and some ways i'd like to see more of that kind of lab based mm. um environments happen today mm. for um immersive technologies of all types but which have not got an endpoint which has to be a product or which has got to be um uh, a success even mm -hmm. yeah but actually we were able to do these projects and come out with you know four or five or even possibly sometimes you never knew 20 things would pop out of it mm -hmm. but they were all like little experiments mm -hmm. and some of them of course went forward and got started to be made into you know either performance pieces or they went into tech being pushed or softwares mm -hmm. shifting you know mm -hmm. But in fact, the, most of it is actually the build-up of research in yeah. a body of people, a set of people around. Yeah. And um, and I think that's where we are with um, the, today's um, understanding of immersion. Mm -hmm. And in a way, it's a really exciting point mm -hmm. because you're right, you know, VR five, three years that it's been coming into this more Yeah, like market. in the main market, like yeah. three years ago, I guess, but it's been yeah. around much longer. Yeah, obviously. yeah, with yeah, the yeah. pioneers from the art side, again, sure. you know, early yeah, stuff yeah. and... Um, 92 95 actually some of the um earlier artists that i've talked to now who are you know they're possibly in their late 60s early 70s mm -hmm. but they've been playing around with stuff for so long you yeah, know it's yeah, like yeah. but um i think that there i i think we need you know we're, no i think we're it's absolutely clear research patches take time they really do so they usually say in the university context it's about a 30-year period mm -hmm. of research yeah. from beginning to end yeah, and yeah. um until it hits really mass and everyone gets it and it becomes kind of more common sense yeah, yeah. yeah into you know not everyone in the world because we're still talking developed world here mm. and let's be honest sure. it's we're certainly not including everyone but into actually um a more conceptual understanding at least mm. of of this in a bigger public mm -hmm. 
And I mean, a Connect's a good example of that because even if people haven't had a Connect a game on Connect or they haven't got it in their in their home environment, mm-hmm. they'll have seen the videos mm-hmm. and for once then clicked very fast because they were very straightforward. Those early adverts, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, actually, how motion capture works. Mm-hmm. You know, I can jump around in front of a camera and it will make me on the screen jumping around, mm. yeah. Whereas prior to that, it was really only in Hollywood, in in big, you know, EA, EA and the big big gaming companies sure, with huge yeah. motion capture studios or in universities, mm-hmm. yeah. But, that, so people were very elitist mm. groups that were getting these, these opportunities to mm. play with stuff. Um, and then they could go deeper and deeper, like you were saying about the animation and mm. the reality stuff, which has come through brilliantly. I do think we need more time now. Mm-hmm. I think I'd like to see more um, funding going to residencies and labs mm-hmm. and opportunities for people to learn from each other, to cross over, to bring brilliant people together from like different aspects, even if it was just on, on VR lab, that actually it just brought together a set of people who are working on very different aspects of VR, very different themes within mm-hmm. VR issues, mm-hmm. different thinking about the formatting but also the presentation, how it reaches the public or the individual, depending on what it's about. Mm-hmm. I think we need more talking and and working creative lab places to do that mm-hmm. at this point in time, to get through the next mm-hmm. bumps, yeah, yeah, faster, in yeah. a sense, and yeah. to actually share knowledge faster and get... Because otherwise we will potentially go back to reinventing the wheel again and again. And you see mm-hmm. groups working so hard, three people here and three people there. And you, and you go, oh my gosh, they're nearly on the same thing. Yeah, and actually, yeah. I do quite often say, I think you need to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, why do, I'm going to introduce <clears throat> you lot, you know, because I can't bear this Her- horrendousness of reinventing the wheel for groups that if they got together, just go, wow, yes, actually, mm-hmm. this could really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I feel today that technology has, or like society has reached a point that, that everybody has technology kind of at the yes, palm of their yeah, hand, yeah. and it's so quickly there, and it's yeah. like, do Google, uh, Mappy, uh, yeah. Alexa, uh, this, so it's like directly yeah. there, mm. and it feels like there's no time anymore to wait and to explore. Yes, yes, and, yeah. But I completely agree mm. with you. I think there's there needs to be time to explore and to know what's working and bringing people together to push it forward. But without a kind of return on return on investment pressure. Yes, at the end exactly. Yes. Yeah, so. do, do you have like an idea how how that in an ideal world could be achieved? Or like currently the situation obviously is is that funding is lacking and for often creative mm, projects mm. Uh, that are. I, I I do feel quite strongly that, and I think quite a lot of other people do too. That the kind of early making environments that have been tried and tested many times in research, in labs, etc., whether it's from the art side, the tech side, or the science side, and often mm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be, yeah, I think that it would be quite good if some of the bigger funders or investors actually realised how much better things would get faster if there was some investment in those types mm. of projects, mm. yeah. Mm. So, yes, they're expensive and they take time. Um, and they have to be very well planned and very well executed, mm. and there are methods to do them with. And it's not just a hackathon. Mm. It, it, and, you know, in some ways, hackathons have maybe, I haven't thought about that before, maybe they're part of the problem because mm. they they always have to be so fast and so um, pushed. Yeah, it's like yeah. a weekend, yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and not so great always there's always that thing it's not so great for women because it's actually going to be just about beer and pizzas I think mm. that we've slightly got past that and mm. there's quite a lot which are done in much more um, open way inclusive mm. way but still the pressure of an, uh, the, uh, that kind of idea formation it doesn't quite allow a flow to happen through mm. say if you've got a two week or a th- three week period where there's say 30 of you working across each other and on top of each other and all over mm. with a structure um for sure you know very clearly a structure which holds everyone in place but mm. with a lot of fluidity in the middle for mm. allowing creative things and allowing crossovers and links to actually be created as you go mm. not preconceived or preset mm. because it actually when you allow a flow to happen and suddenly there's this small group there doing this and this small group there and that and they go actually there's some very strong links between you three groups so go off and have a talk about that when I'm directing these kind of processes yeah. you know go off and talk about that and are are you going to put this idea together or are you going to continue separately could you use some of the same coding actually even though yours is more about singular and yours is more about group is there some crossover into how you actually form and finalise your formatting for group mm. and single by the discussion you have between mm. you, you know. And I just don't think we've got enough opportunities for that at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, unless I'm not seeing them, but we are. No, I, I think mm, it, I think the same. Yeah, I think it's mm. it's very, yeah, it's just too much pressure or yeah. too much like push forward to things that that kind of we're jumping over hoops that we yeah. shouldn't be jumping. Um, we should be like going um, and experimenting more and trying things to actually get over mm. those humps mm. quicker in a way, looking back then, uh, because otherwise we might just maybe take a step backwards and or not, yeah. it wouldn't yeah. work in the end. So. And it's a lot of energy and resources <clears throat> for particularly young startup companies mm. to start on something for all air, I mean, oh, wonderful energy and wonderful and often voluntary or, you know, putting their own money in, family money, yeah, etc., yeah. to be on route of something which actually is already happening mm. or is happening possibly even just around the corner from them. Yeah, but it's another group doing the same. Mm. Yeah, so mm. so I do worry about that in the immersive tech scene at the moment. And I think VR may be particularly because it's been jumped on in a bandwagon kind of way. Mm. And um, I remember... I'm not going to say where and when, but I, went, I was presenting at a big VR conference a few years ago and uh, the organisers had invited two or three of us to talk to a a room of five, six hundred young developers mm-hmm. and they had that afternoon was about tough stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, they knew they were coming to hear um, some good stuff. I mean, there was HoloLens were talking about their problems at the time, but being honest, yeah, and... Mm-hmm. Um, so and I did an input which was um, actually much more about um, wider data immersion, which I guess we can talk about mm. in a minute, yeah, full yeah, body totally. data immersion. Yeah, yeah. But the um, I just rem- and I did my normal bit about you know love VR great, but yeah, and said my key points around the issues that I think are holding mm. it back or mm. will hold it back or may never be um, got over. Yeah. Mm. 
And and I just remember seeing this room of like 500, mainly young men, of course, yes, just glowering at me, absolutely glowering. They were furious, absolutely furious. Not just at me, at a couple of the other speakers too. Yeah, yeah. You can see by the end of that afternoon, they were really not in good form. <laughs> and I went back out to say goodbye to the organisers. I said, well, really, I don't know, we've made them very happy. You know, <laughs> this is your conference. But he goes, no, no, that's why. That's mm. exactly why we have done this. Thank you so much. You said yeah. exactly what we needed yeah. them to hear because there's a lot of mainly young men in that room who think they're going to make a million in the next year yeah yeah, yeah. and that is sad that yeah, is yeah. sad because they literally probably only entered the industry a year before if that and they really were on this like i'm going to do this because i'm going to make a million mm. that's obviously not yeah, yeah. what it's about yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah it's um, the hype and yeah. the kind of the push and yeah. yeah just the stories in general i guess mm. about what you can make when you jump on something high tech and then yeah um, and okay. it's not it very great. hard to put, you mm. know, content which is created for something else into VR. Mm. And, you know, if that's all they're going to do, mm. and I know there's often these stories that 70% of VR content is heterosexual male porn. I don't no idea if that's true or not at all, but I wouldn't be surprised. I no. mean, I'm not looking out there for that. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the direct, you know, interchange happening into yeah. 360 video, you know, whatever in, in VR. And um, I think that. Uh, there we've got that issue that it's it's seen as like you take whatever content's there already, stuff that's been done before, stuff which is done you know regularly for the last 20, 30 years. You maybe film it in a slightly different way, mm. and then you've got this tech which is this headset and the way, and you just put them together, and that's you're going to make a million. Yeah, it's not it's not real. No. Yeah. So yeah. I think therefore. This kind of talking creation labs and residencies mm -hmm. would be really great yeah, to yeah. actually, if you if everyone could get onto one of those, just did one of mm -hmm. them before they even started their company, or even in the middle of it, just to actually push the debate and push the understanding that, you know, people like Professor Rebecca Allen was making VR in '92. It's very important to look at these non-linear VR mm -hmm. methods. Mm -hmm. She's working with consciousness. She's working, mm -hmm. you know, but actually, um, there's been so much done in say health tech VR which hasn't worked mm, yet mm. and which actually we need to learn from what mm. didn't work to to enable us to go forward in the right way with the health tech area yeah. you know so yeah, yeah absolutely mm. I mean also Jeremy Balenson from Stanford VR lab as well yes. was saying he's worked in it for the past 20 years and yes. months later and they both like if VR is not necessary don't use it yes yeah but if it can bring something to people no, that's a very then good you can use it but also it. don't pe pe don't put people in it for longer than needed yes and that yeah. was always very interesting to hear it from them that have been working on it for such a long time in no that's a really interesting way to say it just if, you, if it's not needed to be in vr then don't use it i think that helps quite specify much more clearly what we what we positively can use it for and what actually there's just no need for it to be in mm. that form yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm. Very nice. So yeah, let's go into the data mm. Uh, mm. exchange, and and could you could you go yeah, into more well, detail, like how you approach it and how you would like? I've always had this image, and I think again, it's going right back to dance background. That actually, when working with that early <clears throat> dance video, so and <coughs> taking, excuse me, taking working with that early dance video and taking that into. Um, into streaming, so remote stage connecting, where we'd have, you know, dancers in London and dancers in Kyoto, and they'd be receiving each other on the, on screens behind, real time, mm. sometimes with a little lag, mm. and uh, you know, for four point seven seconds tonight or whatever. <laughs> 
and starting to work, I mean, in detail on actually how we navigate and orientate within that space where you're relating to another at a distance through screens and um, how you deal with um, relativity, co-relativities, how you deal with um, touch. Can you go to anywhere towards a more digital intimacy? Mm. That actually, yeah, throughout throughout that, that dance tech period of the 90s, we were... In, you know, most most of the workshops we were exploring how do we become more intuitive in this this amazing space, mm. which actually ultimately ends up. Some groups you end up thinking it's three spaces: mm. there's physical space you're in, there's the distant space, and then there's the virtual space which is hanging between you, the passover of the information and the data. And um, <coughs> okay, and um, I think that. Now, I realise today a lot of that early navigation and orientation exercises we were doing. So, yes, I realise today that a lot of those exercises that we developed, really mm. exercise methodologies in in the telepresence space for dealing with remote stage connection, dealing with each other at a distance, dealing with navigation, we'd put navigation exercise, orientation exercises, virtual touch, virtual intimacy, have become have become very relevant mm -hmm. in terms of actually how the body was starting to mm -hmm. become by about yeah. 2005 understood as slightly more central <laughs> finally mm -hmm. um and presence presence started to, starting to become discussed now i do actually know in vr terms that presence is still a big discussion mm -hmm. and really probably only came to the forefront about two years ago mm -hmm. three years ago mm -hmm. at the most mm -hmm. um and in fact in in this bigger session I mentioned earlier, there was two guys who genuinely at the end of their presentations put up one slide that says, you know, and we still have got a very big problem about presence mm -hmm. and the understanding of what presence is. Mm -hmm. So yes, they, they were there was two two at least who were just genuinely honest that actually this debate has to come and it mm -hmm. had to happen and that mm -hmm. actually there was something lacking mm -hmm. in VR methodologies of making. Mm -hmm that was not enabling um, that discussion of what is presence in VR to come through. And yeah. we'd had that, you know, telepresence is telepresence. Mm -hmm. You're looking very clearly at presence the whole time. Mm -hmm. So I was quite heartened by that. And mm -hmm. I've kept an eye on that since very closely. Mm -hmm. So the different events, I'm at conferences, meeting people, etc. And I think we are coming up now quite quickly for a lot of bigger debate around actual what presence is within mm. VR mm. in in VR which is which is reliant on mm. others within it mm. yeah and yourself your own self as an avatar mm. within it mm. Mm -hmm. so I hope that actually in the next few years that that I'd like that to come together I'd like the people who've got the knowledge of that who are in the main they will be the dance sector, performing performing arts sector. Mm. I mean, it's a major part of our training, of course. Mm. Anyone who is in a quite a performative job. Mm. So, you know, we can include in that people, barristers, teachers, you know, people who are performing regularly. Mm. They understand presence. They understand how to deal with it. But those people have already got some experience in virtual worlds, whether they're doing teacher training in mm. virtual worlds or whatever, you know. Mm. And also biologists, neurologists, um, physiotherapists, people who are deep body knowledge people. Mm -hmm. So one of my advice points always is um, that any startup that is starting to work with the body and tech, mm -hmm. and particularly in immersive tech such as VR, should actually try to get 
one co-founder or one of their key workers should be coming from that that sector, which I call maybe the present sector. Yeah, mm-hmm. where people are, are very aware of what liveness is mm-hmm. and how we place liveness and virtual together. Mm-hmm. And that was my obsession a bit, really, was that I thought, how do we merge these things? How mm-hmm. do we merge? And that was from about '92. I just started to think, image-wise, of actually, if I have my physical body. And I have this virtual body, which we just started to call virtual physical bodies. We did a big conference in 99 on virtual physical bodies. Um, How do these things start to come together? Mm -hmm. And I think today that's much clearer. Mm -hmm. So if we think, you know, we talk about our physical selves, and then I always use the word data selves, and now even Experian um, uh, on the credit, Mm -hmm. their advert on television, Mm -hmm. Experian Credit, whatever they're called, they talk about our data selves, Mm -hmm. yeah. And we know that from the whole, you know, very not great experiences that have happened around personal data mm. in the last few years with, with some of the big companies misusing it, mm. that actually that, again, means that a much, much wider sector of society is aware of the issues of the data self. Mm. Mm. And so how do we do we create a physical and a data self which are tethered together, mm. but which actually feed each other with knowledge? Mm-hmm. And actually how do those, that duality it isn't even dual it's multi Mm. the multi-idea of yourself so Mm. you know there's Guilain one maybe Guilain one's my physical self and then I've got several other Guilains which are coming through in data cells Mm. in different ways in different worlds that I play in whether it's my family world or my work world or my gaming world or whatever but also in different forms like in AI or into telepresence robotics or whatever Mm. how do I actually start to have a sense of of the the way I can use those multiple data cells to my advantage as a physical person. Mm. How do we start to blend and merge that together? And I think we're just starting to see an understanding that has to happen, Mm. that we've got to find a way to hold on to, because we can be, we can have multi-identities, but we've still got to have responsibility for our identity. Mm, mm, mm. And we're just starting to see that debate coming on the table, and I'm excited about that coming yeah, through now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very important as well, obviously, um, <coughs> to have uh, that debate and the, the ethical debate around it as well, because it can very easily um, get off the rails in terms of data, <coughs> spreading, collection, kind of, um, taking on on um, other identities online, which already has been happening. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, but 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 yeah, going into VR and immersive technologies <clears throat> can become even more critical in terms of sexual harassment within yes, those spaces. Yes, where yeah. in the physical world, they're not. Where does the line between criminalization lie? Spot as on. Well? That's really spot on, so, and it's actually if we reach a point where our physical cells are so untethered from our data cells, mm. then you could imagine in 20 years' time, say, me, some, the police coming to me and saying, your data self has committed this crime, and me going, well, it's nothing to do with me. My mm. data self doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Google, this, that, this, etc. I take no responsibility mm. for my data self at all. Mm-hmm. And that actually in identity psychology would be a massive shift in mm. human thinking. Mm. And I think there we haven't even started to bore down into what that um, easy rejection of responsibility could mean. Mm. Because it works both ways. You can either be misused mm. or you can misuse. I, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm 
I'm very excited about that debate, and yes. I hope it, it will only increase in yes. the future because otherwise, if we don't do it now, it will probably never happen down the line, yeah. or it will be mm. happen. It will be done by certain people. That doesn't not involve everyone that needs to be involved to actually make the decisions going forward or make the kind of the the ethical case for it. Yeah, and it needs to happen at the at the practitioner's end mm. because we are seeing a lot of good discussion about AI and ethics. <clears throat> no, whether it's the House of Lords, whether it's the Toronto Convention, whether it's the um, there's a Toronto Declaration which I think was Human Rights and the UN. There's now the new Centre for Data Ethics has been set up in Britain, mm. but most countries are doing something mm. in the in the kind of more institutionalised level. There's various committees coming together, various diverse groups been mm. to put forward not not rules yet, not not laws yet, mm. but to put the things into the middle mm. about how we should be dealing with data and data cells. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And AI, etc. within that, because mm. that's all coming as well into yeah, it. Yeah, but in fact, that's great, but it's actually at the practitioner's level that it, it will, one, be much more understood because actually a lot of those people on the institutional committees are not really working with mm -hmm. this stuff, mm -hmm. you know. They understand it on a very high level. Yeah, And then some of experts. them are top heads, but they're not the experts at a practical level. And also then, of course, it, it really relates to the making process. So if we don't actually integrate it right deeply into the creative process... Mm -hmm the ethics discussion, the non-bias discussion, mm -hmm. the, you know, all these bits, <clears throat> then it will absolutely, as says, it will bypass and we'll just be, we'll, we'll miss, the, we'll miss this point in time mm -hmm. to actually make quite a few corrections mm -hmm. now. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I was part of this uh, group of 20 women that um, wrote the vision statement <clears throat> for women and virtuality. Yeah, yeah great. Uh, together with Katrin and, um, and it was around that really trying to make a statement that companies could pledge to and could yes. kind of follow um, without they're not rules they're not laws it's more like these are guidance around creating content yeah. good fair good, good fair guidance really. absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. around Which, hiring yeah, uh, yeah. diverse teams where including women and another represented groups and and maybe that's a great kind of a segue into um, your other organization which is women shift digital yes yes and yeah how that got started because it's all about mm, kind mm. of empowering women in the end or bringing them together <clears throat> yes no it's it's interesting that because i think if i'm able to analyze backwards now into my 20s and 30s which i can you know i can look back on it, i think there's there's quite a lot of um tactics that i took to avoid being um, put, pushed to the side or not taken as relevant as a woman yeah <clears throat> now in the art sector there's a lot of women but still the major the main top jobs are all you know the checkbook holders are in majority are still men mm -hmm. and and definitely in dance and it's sadly mm -hmm. so actually so it's um so and in my 20s and 30s that was absolutely true when we needed to get money in from festivals or you know direct festival directors or even the funding people or whatever the people with the checkbooks was it was mainly dealing with older men mm -hmm. yeah and i remember making a few kind of rules for myself and um one of them was actually between 25 and 35 i wore my glasses again for 10 years yeah just to actually because i just realized i was being taken more seriously mm. now if i look back on that's a bit sad really but mm. actually it made me feel i could go out there and be stronger mm. because i knew that was this it would stop them just being distracted by female yeah 
I also learned never to say that I was a dancer first. Yeah, because you just got the look up and down. Mm. You drop it in later in the conversation. Mm. They worked it out after a couple of years. Don't okay. say dance because then they go, oh, yes, nice legs. And then they don't talk to you. Yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. like don't talk intelligently to you, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. They want to buy you a glass of wine and that's it, you know. So, And then I also um, really was really tough in the end because I thought I'm going to give, you know, that guy has got a really great festival. We'd really like to be in it. I think he could commission our work. I really think he would support you know, like what we're doing, and his audience would. Mm-hmm. But I, first time I approached him, he just was silly with me, just a bit, oh, nice little girl, or whatever. Second time, I actually managed to test, you know, I have two or three sentences of fairly intelligent mm-hmm. conversation. I'm going to try it three times. And the third time, if I get through, then I'll continue. If it goes back to, you know, girly stuff, mm-hmm. that's it, forget it. Drop yeah. that, drop that one, move on. Yeah. yeah. So... But I kept thinking, it's going to be getting better and better. It's okay, it's fine. You know, we're just going through the last bits. And, you know, my mum was quite a strong feminist and she was working. And so I never really thought this... But I've just realised it wasn't. It wasn't getting better at all. And, in fact, being in the tech scene, you think this brand-new industry, digital technologies, and there was just not enough women around. Mm-hmm. Whereas, at least in the arts, there's lots of women, even if we're not at higher levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And I was like, gosh, this is really problematic. And I'd always curated, I was curating at the ICA throughout the 90s, and we were doing all these residencies and labs and stuff, and I'd always done it 50-50. Mm-hmm. Very deliberately fixed it in, because I believe in that diversity of voice. Mm-hmm. And I'd always done intercultural. And actually, for me, diversity of voice will create innovation. I've been very clear about that from actually both earlier points in intercultural work in the 80s. It had really proved and a lot of my seniors at that type of time had been very brilliant. Yeah. And I'd learned a lot around how if we deal with the other well and we learn from the other, mm-hmm. then we all we all expand and we all grow bigger. And I think, you know, that's one of our biggest problems in the world today is judgment of the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so um I I reached about, we reached about 2007-8 and I kept thinking, like, having had loads of women working in my companies and loads of female interns and it always been brilliant, brilliant, brilliant women and going out and then finally moving on to do brilliant jobs and great, and, but we kept coming back together and the networks reforming, it's like, it's just not getting easier. In fact, some of the young ones were saying, this is harder, it's harder than, and they'd come back with stories and I'd be like, no, this is not good. And then we did this big EU project, one of our big ones, with, which was originally with Nesta, and then it moved into EU funding, called Robots and Avatars. And it was looking at representation of our futures okay. and how we dealt with avatar selves, robotic selves, mm. and what the future world of work was, actually, in relationship to connections between avatars, robots, and work, yeah, and okay. young people. And um, <clears throat> we did an open call for exhibition and commissioning and we got hardly any applications from women at all and I really suddenly hit us in the face and it was quite a big group about five different countries involved and the the jury was good and we were just like this is terrible Mm -hmm. absolutely terrible because the women that have applied are brilliant we already knew them yeah there was a couple of new names but they were struggling through Mm -hmm. they weren't in the quality level that we could take them Mm -hmm. through um this is just not good enough that there are not women that can apply with amazing projects on the robotic side Mm -hmm. or the avatar side in some ways it's really obvious yeah Yeah, yeah. now it's really obvious but we just thought okay this project this eu project had a final conference Mm -hmm. which in a good organic way we'd left open to make the theme happen 
yeah. through the project and work out what did we want this final theme to be. And we went, okay, we need it to be women, women yeah. in tech. And we yeah. need so we created Women Shift Digital. We did the first um, big workshopping, like two or three days, and um, about wasn't loads of us, probably about 100, but splitting into small groups and back together mm. in a small group. But so we really worked it out. We did that in um, in Maribor, in Slovenia. It's part of Maribor City of Culture. Mm. And I think that was 2012. Or, and then we brought it to London and we instantly, Level 39, said, we'll do a conference with you, yeah. which was great. Yeah. And that's when we did the first Women's Shift Digital event. Mm. And we found immediately, you know, five or six others um, that STEMETs had just started. Mm. Um, we were working with Sue Black and her um, Tech Mums stuff. Okay. There was um, three or four other initiatives which are just on the edge starting and um, some from all wearable sides, some from, mm. you know... Health Tech Women UK. Yeah, yeah. Well. yeah that's yeah. right. And we... So we kind of thought, okay, we just let's let's all work, try and work together because we mustn't compete with each other. And mm -hmm. you know, so as you know, since then it's just absolutely loads and loads of groups have occurred, mm -hmm. and that is you know partly due to need, partly due to needing um, uh, specific sector supports mm -hmm. like women in VR or women in three um, uh, D printing, women in wearables. You know, mm -hmm. these are really strong groups that yeah. have emerged. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And lots and lots more um, conferences and get-togethers and going deeper, deeper into the issues of, you know, that we now understand about bias within the base of algorithms mm. even, you know, mm. and how the hell we deal with this. I, we won't ever. We've got to find ways to solve on top of this. But, yeah. but also the gender pay gap and um, um, everything to do, you know, with actually flexible working hours, all those kind of things yeah. for mums, etc. Um, but getting more and more complex into, you know, the unconscious bias stuff and what men can do to help. And, mm. you know, so working with TLA, work, uh, Women in Tech, and working with um, uh, uh, digital mums and girls mm. coding and just really trying to get all this to happen mm. and support each other rather than compete. So we don't do so many events anymore. Actually, what we do now, the Twitter stream is very active. Yeah. And we have... Followers, a very big international set of followers, and we have a lot of male followers. Mm -hmm. We check out carefully, but they're in there. And we yeah. have quite a lot of media and polit political followers. So okay. um, I try to put stuff up, and, and Marie and the others who work on it, um, uh, which will um, not, it's not just about tech, it's about gender issues too, yeah. but which will help politicians to also, when they're looking, they know they're going to get that, that in it. Um, interview yeah. that they're going to get asked something like that they'll I know they're checking I can tell from what's sometimes said mm. on the radio etc so mm. and now what we're trying to do is be supportive to other initiatives like this amazing we, we women entrepreneurs in social tech oh, that yeah. we just launched yeah, so yeah. and that is and all this is voluntary work the whole thing <clears throat> but it's our activism and I think it's um for me it's become the thing okay I wasn't expecting to have to be an activist on women's issues in my 50s but um sadly it's true yeah, yeah so, still not, uh, and therefore even more reason we have to do it. Yeah, yeah. So women in entrepreneurs in social tech is Deutsche Bank funded and with NWES and um, Haringey Council putting in really significant amount of money and support mm. to support probably it's going to be 60, 50, 60 female businesses mm. founded by 50% plus women. So it can be one man, one woman. It can mm. be two women one man it's not about not men it's not it's not that yeah. at all it's actually much more about um helping hand up um they get really good support and resources and mentors and mm. inputs across six months mm. and towards investment ready and that but they must also be working on something which has got a social impact or a kind of tech for good aim mm. 
and we just had our first like 60 odd applications in which are all really good yeah. really great so we're just making our first cohort decision so yeah, yeah. that's exciting yeah. and it starts in february right it does it starts yeah, actually yeah. jan i think jan oh, the 14th is the first date and um yeah, yeah. and then you have it's like three yeah cohorts, three across right? two years yeah, yeah, yeah. so you yeah. know it's um, i mean this first group is really important because we we need to work very closely with them and get their feedback and to improve and improve on mm -hmm. it um, but we've got some good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, it's it looks very exciting. It's very important as well, and so many uh, yeah issues that still exist within tech, and but so many great projects that exist within tech for good as well. So yes, when yeah. we can support these going forward, in particular, and founded by women as well, it's it's such an important kind of yes. And there's this new phrase which you've probably heard around, which is zebras, mm. which you know. So yeah. we've got rather yeah. than having to be a unicorn, I make the first million yeah. as fast as you can and get all that investment. It's like you can be a zebra where you actually are. Yes, being making profit. Yes, paying yourselves. Yes, actually um, m ensuring your company is sustainable. But actually, you are then putting money back round in the other way mm. from the bottom up in various ways. It may not be direct cash. It may be that it's support and resources and skills and mm. you know and I really like this um, um, concept of actually it's a bit of a relief actually mm -hmm. to not have to be on that massive intense run towards I want to be a millionaire mm -hmm. you know it's like and we've, we've used these phrases it's something I've worked with for quite a while since the EU projects looking at value and values mm -hmm. and actually how do we balance that out and mm -hmm. how, how why are we not allowed to do both and we must be mm -hmm. allowed to in, integrate our values into a business which has value which is yeah. investable yeah. Yeah, yeah and again I think it's a bit like the whole VR thing I think the next 10 years will be very very fascinating yeah. in this area and we will see a lot of new models coming through and the more people cross over like in these accelerator points where they will be together and helping each other etc um, the more we stop reinvention of the wheel and we create models of innovation for these types of things which actually could not be created by individual companies mm. on their own working mm. separately. Mm. So that's why I think we've got to get the VR lot and the Immerse lot together more. So Absolutely, yeah. 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 I mean, it's so... Uh, yeah, it's such a collaborative. It's still such a collaborative environment because it's such a new community. Yes. But it could, it could, could improve massively yes. still because, as you say, we're kind of all uh, still kind of figuring out in our own kind of world well we, we should be reaching out to more companies around us within the space that have already done it maybe that are a bit further ahead and that could and help those us companies should be level. helping as well yeah. and i think of course everybody you've got to work so hard as a startup mm. it's very hard to find the time mm. to keep an eye on what's around you um i mean i do i do advise when i'm doing mentoring and stuff that people do it is not a waste of time to do an hour a day on researching what else is out there. Mm. Have your Google alerts on mm. for your key topics that are in your company, you mm. know. Have uh, a finger on the pulse the whole time. Go to all of those other meetings. Mm -hmm. um, yes, business exchange in accelerators is really good, what mm. we've just explained. And I know there's been some very good VR versions of that, mm. yeah. And some very good people working on setting those up. Um, but I think it's actually for the VR scene and the immersive tech scene now we need to get down into even deeper it's 
it's before the business model in a way. Mm. It's actually the creation process itself yeah. and how that is. The content is created and how it reaches, how it is created in a way that will reach a user. Yeah, how it brings value basically yeah. to the user. Yeah. I, I agree because I think, I mean, you could <laughs> evolve the technology content uh, constantly obviously but if the content is not yeah. right nobody will actually no. be using it no so, yeah. and so it's often yeah. so disappointing and you know that people have worked on it so hard mm. and they may have actually bridged an important tech glitchy thing or something that everyone's going how do we get past this how do we get past mm. this and you know like seams your seams seamlessness is a big thing at the moment isn't it how yeah. do you know and you still you know, see these odd seams and things, you think, wow, I wasn't expecting to see that seam there mm. in this very quite advanced piece or whatever, but it's still an issue, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like people struggle, struggle on mm. their own to deal with these things. Mm. We need more, somehow we need something more sharing going on, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mm. yeah, I agree. Mm. And I feel like the also the platforms on which you can share, they tend to become more individualized as well, unfortunately, rather than becoming right, like open right. sharing type of yes, yeah. experiences in some way, uh, where it's like more like point, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it will be interesting to see how yes, that hopefully yeah. goes forward in a positive way. But interesting that um, like this year I've just done two dance tech labs again, and mm. um, in Britain which is actually really amazing. One was Sadler's Wells, which was the dance-a-thon between London, Liège and Lyon, which yeah. I was did the lead coach for in London. Yeah. And one is called Quest Lab, which is Studio Wayne McGregor, which is actually a kind of deeper um, two-week, um, nine, ten choreographers, and we were putting them through intensive Creative Tech link, mm -hmm. link up. So they were already working with Creative Tech, but it was taking mm -hmm. them deeper and further mm -hmm. into methodologies, into risks and mistakes, linking them with... Creative tech people hearing from academics, really full on yeah, CPD. Yeah, 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 really. They were just like, whoa, at the end of it. And Quest Lab goes forward next year. I just had the meetings today to sort out the next one. That is very satisfying to see that starting to come through. So I'm mm. kind of hoping that the same could happen for the people like yourself, actually, mm. to be involved in, who are coming from deep VR experience mm. now, but actually could it could go even further by just pooling ideas and this is mm. where our 90s stuff are collaborative and co-created mm. these methodologies the weave we call it various others that actually come into their own at this point mm. in time um because you can just you see people bouncing you know 20 steps forward suddenly just by being in an unusual grouping mm -hmm. where you are all experts but you've all got someone just says one sentence everyone goes Oh my god! Finally, that yeah. just bridged through something that everybody's been hitting their head on for yeah, ages, yeah. and that could be techie, but mm. actually, often it's not. Often mm. it's conceptual, or it's an understanding of a user interface mm -hmm. and how how users are are going forward on that, or it's somebody talking from a next generation point of view who's younger mm. and who's not as experienced, but they mm. may they may be eighteen, nineteen and they really are not by any means the top techie person in the room or top BRs, but they say something and everyone's like, Oh, that makes sense so much sense. Yeah, We've got yeah. to look in a different direction on that. Yeah. So I really would like that to happen. Um yeah. right now in, in London for those things to start to happen. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I think collaboration <clears throat> is such a an amazing thing what it can bring for society in general like just by coming together and really driving 
projects forward and driving technology forward, but also driving just like, yeah, this sense of, I, I guess I belong to this community yes. to actually grow yeah. and build something together, even though you have your individual products, but you're actually working together for this greater yes. yeah. uh, purpose. And I think, you know, we do have lots of meetups and we do have lots of, you know, panels and various things, but I think it just needs to be something deeper, like Quest Lab was, was mm. very good on that level. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so I'm very excited about this. Dance song yeah. was great fun and brilliantly done, and re but it's still that, mm. like, oh, I wish we'd had five days or seven days, not just three. Yeah. Well, in a way, too, by the time they'd you know, done all of the introductions and I'd done all the collaboration methodology, and then they had the judging. So in a way, it was two days. Yeah, yeah. They did brilliantly. All <laughs> London lot and the others. It really was a very brilliant set of stuff came out of it. Well-resourced, well-looked after, very good support around mm. it all. Um, but I think, yeah, even a two-week thing, mm. where you're very, very precise about the choice of people coming into it, mm. but you actually make this kind of woven stuff mm. and then you have these intangible results. Those, um, <clears throat> what I like out of those kind of things is that, again, I'm going to say this again because I think people really have to allow their heads to go this way, that we can structure things and we can allow creative fluidity and what we mustn't do is preset the outputs. Mm on those kind of group collaborative things. So it's mm. like, it's actually what's beautiful is what can flow through. Mm. And if you allow a fluidity to happen, mm. and it's quite hard work to do that, mm. and everybody mm. has to go with the flow, but um, even within a two-week period, a lot can come through. Mm. Mm. And then you just watch the months afterwards, or even the years afterwards, the yeah. link-ups that continue, the crossovers that happen, the sudden sparks or bursts of like, there are two people that met on it, but then introduced other people to other people, mm. and then suddenly something comes through, and you can actually see backwards to that that more deeper sharing collaborative mm. point, yeah? And nobody could have foreseen that mm. coming through. And yeah. Those are the special things, yeah. And people don't even work it out until years later when they go, it was that point then that yeah. I actually hit that, yeah. That's yeah. amazing, mm. and it's sadly it's not done enough. Um, no, no. Uh, because there's too much about um, return on investment. There's yeah, too much yeah, about yeah. this is going to cost 150000 and that, but what's going to come out? We don't know. Mm. We really don't know what's mm. going to come out. It could be 20 things. It could be five. Well, well that's, we can't possibly do that. It doesn't say exactly mm. what the outputs are. And this is very, very difficult for emerging forms. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's where the arts is is better is able there's not enough money in the arts, but there's still and university supported yeah, research totally. allows that that push float through mm. to go. Um, and I want I want everyone to have those kind of opportunities mm. to mm. to you know have the pressure off in terms of even just for a two week period off mm. in terms of that's we've got to make very intense strides to actually getting more users or getting more money in or getting you mm. know and actually be able to flow with their ideas and, yeah. and say honestly where they're stuck or honestly what they need help with mm. and suddenly someone else is like well, I, can, I can help you that I've got a code I can give you that now and you're like oh my god we've been we've been thinking about that for two months and we we're just about to start on it. it would have taken us two months and mm. suddenly just one person said, oh I've got an open source bit I'll give you for it yeah. yeah, and you just no way you would have found that out, you know. Yeah. Other than talking deeply about your work, not mm. just having a pint together or having a, a chat across a panel or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, my own startup was created following an accelerator program, which was a, a tech for good accelerator program, 
but it was uh, the time to be given the mindsets and to think deeply about initially at least when then afterwards the pressure came but initially just to think about what do you want to do and where do you want to go yes. and yeah. and also bringing together we were 11 startups together all different backgrounds yes yeah uh, but then just by discussing and and like you say putting your problems on the table yes yeah then yeah. someone could say uh, i can help you with that or i can help yeah. you with that it's great it's such yeah. an amazing yeah experience yeah. so maybe that you know i think <clears throat> immersive tech is at that point now but it really needs a lot mm. more of that and not just about the company formation, but about the creation processes themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it'd be okay. really good to have more of that happening. Yeah, absolutely, let's way. make it happen. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm on for that. <laughs> Me as well. Yeah, definitely, so. I think that's a great um, way to go into the quick fire quiz. Yeah, okay, uh, cool. If, um, it's kind of go asking you a bit about uh, things that you like, and I, was, I, I wanted to ask you about an experience a, a created experience, for example, that you saw that really was for you kind of life changing or amazing that, that never kind of left your your mind. Yes, okay, that's a very good question because I think for me experiences are so deep memory things, and actually they're they're not they're not necessarily they're films in our heads that mm. we only us can see, and mm. people do hold on to performance memories their whole lives it might be like a 60 second thing they saw when they were 21 they still can remember it precisely mm. when they're 70 mm -mm. because it was so impressive so I think I mean, I've got many because of the performance sector and there have been different people in time it just made me completely shoot forward but probably for this I should mention the first time I saw a, a, a full data full body data emotion piece in a dome and that was at SAT in Montreal, mm. um, which is where they hold the IX Immersion Experience um, Symposium every late May, June. Mm. Everyone should come too. And we're just starting, I'm on the programme committee and we're starting on the new one. But I hadn't um, had the opportunity to um, really experience some amazing work in domes until about three or four years ago. And actually going into that dome and lying down on that beanbag and being surrounded by incredible, you know, uh, audio-visual experience, which was, you know, using 160 speakers all around you, where there's 3D over your head, where you're completely full-body immersed in that space, mm -hmm. um, really made me completely believe that we can take this immersion sector into a more collective and because we're in as a group and yep. we can experience it together yep. and it's that's got a long way to go still mm. but that for me is yeah the um the the ultimate is how do we actually enable immersive full body experiences for everybody whether it's for education whether it's for health and well-being whether it's for um even product launches whatever but for fun for entertainment whatever mm. art um, but also connected experiences. So connecting domes around the world would be wonderful yeah, to do. Yeah. So yeah, that's a bit of a longer term. And God knows if I'll get to it, but I'm going to shout about it until people yeah, do it. Totally. So yeah, I always work on that <laughs> also level. Also my friend uh, yeah. who develops um, uh, content for domes as well. Oh, right. So okay, definitely. Yeah, I'd like um, contact with them. Yeah. And then, if like, what is your favourite invention and why? I guess I probably do need to say telepresence there. Yeah. So yeah, and... And obviously, you could name numerous different companies now, um, but for me, just the joy of of being able to smile at somebody at a distance. And in dance terms, that was wonderful. But I must mention also that that 
you know, if you think about what a shift those first ones have made to family connections mm. across the world, mm. and people who never hardly saw each other, grandparents seeing grandkids, but also parents who are away from home working, mm. which is really a lot, mm-hmm. and particularly in certain countries. Like, I think in Estonia a few years ago, it was a third of 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 parents, one parent was away from the family, often the man, mm. but, you know, and that... On the breakfast table, Skype crossover, or the late nights, good night in bed, which of course is not anything like the same as the physical, mm-hmm. but which is certainly better than nothing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it just changes the world yeah. totally. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so for me, yeah, living away it. from yeah. home as well, yeah. it's the same. I mean, yeah. it's so such an incredible thing yeah. that an easy thing that you have now um to call and, and see if you before and, 2005 yeah. that was not possible mm. for uh, generally for most people yes yeah. it was obviously for big business and for universities yes mm. but not not for like you and me to do that yeah. off with with um family or friends in different countries and that is we can so easily forget mm. the shift that that's made and how it is you know digital connectivity is not encouraging loneliness in fact i really believe it does far more the opposite mm. connecting people than mm. making people lonely and mm. cut off mm-hmm. mm. okay that's really great yeah. um do you have a challenge for the audience in terms <clears throat> of because you connect so many different aspects of society in a way within your mm. the things that you the um, uh, project that you create and and your work that you do within we in social tech and then women's shift digital Is there like a thing that you would challenge the audience with? Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's quite a few that I use in presentations. I chuck out at people, but maybe it's it's to really consider how often we use the word I and how often we use the word we. And it's actually something I do presenting on for universities, but also I take it into um, wider sector. It's this, what I call the I-we syndrome. Yeah, and actually how we are at this point in time again, it's a challenge for us all to um, be honest mm. about the I and the we. Mm. Um, and not just to use the I when things are going well. And it's like, oh, I've made this, it's brilliant, it's going really well. And not just to use the we or them when it's not so good. And to be honest about collaborations. Mm-hmm. And um, that as a company, there's too much eyes and then there's three people involved. It's like, come on, you're a we, just mm-hmm. use the we, be mm-hmm. honest. Because mm-hmm. actually, for me, that's a selling point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it will be more and more that you've worked as a team that you can acknowledge the we mm-hmm. shows a deeper collaboration method. Mm-hmm. Um, but also in your day to day life, too. And sometimes I say, just keep an eye on it across a week. Just double check yourself when you're using I, when you're using we, how honest are you being, mm-hmm. even at family level, mm-hmm. yeah. And be surprised. It just shifts something in your head, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Okay, mm. okay, very interesting. Uh, and then your the fa- your favorite social impact project that you oh, would yes. like to be anything, a charity or a company or um, or an art group? Yes. Wow, um, <laughs> so many good ones. I guess I have to say the STEM ads, mm. yeah, because I think I've been obviously I'm mentoring them and and I'm on the advisory board, but I just think that they have themselves done so much with with girls and coding and after schools clubs and the monster tours and the career stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually, what they've also done is is just ripple that out. So there's so many, even of their 
younger ones who got you know got to into their twenties now, starting lots of little things off. You can start to see the this dynamic um, emergent network coming from them, mm -hmm. but also by the nature of them and a few others that started at that early time, so many more others are doing mm. this work. Mm. It it does worry me that women are having to do this work for women. And mm. um, maybe that's something to say because we already, you know, most women have a, quite a lot of childcare considerations more than men, although men are getting so much better at it and there's so so many great dads mm. out there, mm. yeah. yeah totally. But equally then there's the, you know, elderly care, mum's care and dad's care when they get older. Um, and then actually to be told in early points of all this women in tech stuff, you'd be told, oh, it's really great. Now you lot need to all get on with volunteering to make this happen. It's like another thing to volunteer mm. for is to actually make sure we get equal representation mm. in this new digital technology industry, which is going to be the main industry for the next, you know, 200 years or whatever, mm. is frustrating mm. but I think that the energy comes from within it in a mm. way and it's mm. by that networking from things like the STEMETs yeah. that have been so important yeah yeah, yeah they're amazing and the I next love... generations come through absolutely with confidence and with knowledge and hopefully we'll see all those little companies around Tech City and everything all starting with at least one woman in the founding mm. base mm -mm. too Mm -mm. that's the aim yeah. <laughs> the dream and uh, yeah. going forward not the dream the reality and going the forward and the equality comes through so. and we get better content better products and you know and it's not about not having men around it's about equalities Equality, and about diversities yeah. in, a, in innovation mm -hmm. creating innovation yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah because diverse insights are yeah. so important within tech no but it's if you so only have important one, you leave 50% yeah. of the population yeah. out it's yeah. obviously uh, not yeah, a diverse half, half the sky I always like that half the sky it's nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. all right thank you so much I for welcome. talking to me and to sharing your story with the audience and uh, yeah best of luck with everything thank you and, so much and uh, yeah. looking yeah. forward to what you're doing next as well yeah so. definitely and and you onwards too and all these Thanks great podcasts and I look forward to listening to um, right. to the others as they come up through yeah, yeah absolutely great. thanks Good. so much yeah. bye